Good morning. You know, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And over the last couple of weeks, Rachel and I, Rachel, my wife, was playing on the keys. Um, we were in Czech Republic, and then we took a little bit of vacation as long as we were over there. And um, I just want to give you just a brief report. You know, things went really, really well there. We were able to, for, if you don't know this, we support a church planter half-time. Uh, uh, and all the best pictures they showed a couple of weeks ago, so I don't even have any pictures because um, we were nine hours ahead, so I was able to send them pictures, send you guys pictures beforehand. But Tomas and Nella, we support Tomas as a church planter there, and and uh, he, he's working half-time at the church that we don't support him for, and then the other half-time he's working establishing two church plants. So we were able to spend some time with the, the mother church there and then with some of the leaders of the other, of the other church plant and just deepen our relationship with them and see the work there firsthand and hopefully encourage them a little bit along the way. And so it was a really good trip. And um, I mean, we might, I might give a little bit bigger update about it at some um, uh, members meeting coming up. But I also know that uh, Freddie, who is, is Tomasha's kind of partner there in ministry, he's actually planning on being in the States in June. And so he asked if he could come back here again in June and, and visit us all. So you'll probably see him this summer. But, you know, our, our philosophy as a church around international missions is that we would rather invest in fewer things more deeply than just spread it out like, oh, you can have $5 here and $10 there or whatever, however that works, um, for a couple reasons. One, we want we want there to be a relational connection, and wherever possible, we try to connect like church to church where we can develop these relationships with churches, largely because I really believe that like maybe us as a church could could encourage them, and I think there's things that we can learn from the churches around the world ourselves, and so our goal is always to try to develop relationships or send people out from Creekside here. Most of you have probably met the Buellers when they were here this summer. Um, right now, they're the, they're, they've been sent from Creekside. The, the Phillips are... Um, just as of this summer, are, are not back on the field. They're, they're in Arizona. But that's kind of our philosophy around that, is that we want to develop relationships so that there can be a mutual encouragement church to church. And I think our, our trip there went a long way in seeing that happen. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me after the service. But, um, you know, as we get into the scriptures to get today together, we are in John chapter 13, starting at verse 36. I, um, before I left for the Czech Republic, I divided up like, the passages that should be preached in my absence. And Randy preached last week and did a great job. And I'm glad he kind of only gave like a token nod to verses 36 through 38, because as I was reading ahead, I was like, why did I put those in Randy's text? Because they really should belong in my text. And um, so he wasn't being negligent. He was actually being wise in uh, not following my directions, um, uh, because my directions were faulty. Uh, so we're going to start at John 13, 36 this morning. And if you're new to the Bible, John is kind of like in the in the last like fifth of the Bible, there's a, there's a set of long books kind of in that last third, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are called the Gospels, and John is the fourth one of those. So um, we'll be in John 13, 36 through 14, 6 this morning. Did I say seven on the screen? I, it was a moving target this morning as I was like recovering from jet lag, and we're going to go to six, so ignore the screen as well. Like it's all about ignoring Steve this morning. So... <laughs> Um, I apologize for that, too. But uh, anyway, here we are in John 13, 36. And, you know, over the last two weeks when I was gone, you know, Jake preached about how, how Jesus knew that he was about to leave the world. In John 13, like I think it's in 1 through 4, it, it, John tells us that Jesus loved his disciples until the very end. Like he loved them to the uttermost. This, this path that he was about to walk to the cross where he was going to be crucified and die in our place for our sins and the sins of the world. 
um, is the ultimate and furthest reaching expression of love that could ever exist. And, and John tells us that, that he loved them to the uttermost or to the end. And then Jesus illustrated what he was going to do by wa- like stooping down and washing his disciples' feet and, and like cleansing them and talking about the cleansing that would come through his work on the cross. And then, and then, and then he gave it as like the example of the love that we're supposed to have for each other. Randy spoke about this last week is that Jesus commanded them. He says like that, that we should love each other the same way he loved us. And that if we do so, like the whole world will know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ. Like the kind of love that we're called to as, as Christians is a love that, that is so uh, like incredible and so like, what's the word I'm looking for? Incomprehensible that everyone w- would have to acknowledge that something was true about the, about the message of the gospel. But one of the other things that Jesus said, and Randy spoke about this too uh, last week, is that he was going to be departing from his disciples. And when he, when he dropped this bombshell on the disciples of like, I'm going to be departing, he said, like, you know, love each other like, like I have loved you. And then he drops this bombshell that I'm going to be departing. And then the disciples are all like, well, and Peter said it in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And what we're going to discover is like the, the message of Jesus and one other thing that we're going to see in our text, like created this like troubled heart in the disciples. In fact, if you look at verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Like, the very, like these, these men had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their businesses, their reputation. They were like, they were all in in the cause of Jesus, even though their faith was like incomplete and faltering at times, like their commitment was there. And all of a sudden Jesus drops the bombshell like, hey, I'm going to take off and you're going to be left alone. And their hearts were troubled. I think it's a really important text for us this morning because there are lots of things to be troubled about in the world today. Agree? Right? You've got the, you've got the war with, between Israel and Hamas and, and like all of this talk about how that could like expand, right? It could expand and explode into something bigger. Like if you like follow any news in Africa, there's been coups and there's been conflicts and there's been like problems in Africa. You've got You've got like rising tensions with China. You've got, um, I, I don't know, what else? Um, Russia and Ukraine. So Europe, Africa, Asia, the Middle East, China. Like, is there anything going on in South America that I don't know about? <laughs> there is, but I don't know about it. So, I mean, and then there's like the things closer to home. Like we have inflation. We have like market instability. We have like, like crazy expensive housing prices. We have... I was just getting warmed up. We do have a defibrillator up on the lobby. It's just right out those doors. So if anybody goes down, I've never seen it in action. It'll be kind of fun. Um, Yeah, I should have stayed in check. Um, <laughs> well, and the reality is, is that for a lot of us, it's the struggles of our own souls that trouble us, right? We've got these things in our own hearts that we don't even, like, share about, or these struggles of our own, like, weakness, or our own, like, lack of faith, or our own, like, injuries that we're trying to learn how to apply the truth of the gospel to. I mean, there's all the things external to us, and then there's those things internal to us, and there's lots of reason to be troubled. 
you know, in Jesus, the message this morning is what Jesus is going to do with his disciples as he sees them in this place of being troubled. He's going to direct their attention away from their troubles and to himself and challenge them to greater and greater faith as they try to navigate this troubled world. You know, our text is going to really break out into two main sections this morning. First of all is that in verses 1336 through 14.4, I, I think I have it up there, yeah, that Jesus is, our, is the comfort amidst our trouble, 1336 through 14.4, and Jesus is the way amidst our uncertainty, chapter 14, verses 5 through 6 again. My fault, not 7, chapters uh, 14, verses 5 and 6. So please stand as I read our text this morning. I'll read the whole thing, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into our, our study together. This is God's word for his church. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. But Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock will not crow until you deny me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in, me, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the comfort that it is. And um, I don't have any ability in my own self to bring comfort to your people. Um, that's a work that has to be done by your spirit through your word. So Father, I just ask that you would accomplish that this morning, that wherever we're at, that you would uh, direct our focus on Jesus, that you would direct our heart and, our, and, and deepen our faith um, so that we could leave here as comforted people. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's interesting because if you, if you look ahead through chapter 14, you have, or in, in 1336, you have Peter's question in 1336. You have Thomas's question in 14.5. You have Philip's question in 14.8. And then you have a, a question in verse 22, Judas. Then it says, not Iscariot, which is kind of funny. Like this dude, his name is Judas, is always known as like the Judas, but not that Judas, you know? Um, <laughs> He asks a question, you know, so all of chapter 14 is kind of structured around these questions of the disciples. It's like Jesus drops this bombshell, like, hey, I'm going away. And then everybody just starts asking questions, you know, and, and we're going to be looking at the first two of those this morning. We're going to be looking at Thomas's question and, and Peter's question. But what happens is when this bombshell gets dropped and everybody is wondering, like, where is Jesus going? Peter, who seems to be like the most impulsive and and kind of like outspoken of the disciples, he immediately jumps in. He says, Lord, where are you going? Like, where are you going? You know, for Peter and the disciples, they, they responded to the call to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is leaving them? And look at Jesus' response. Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Like, you can't follow me anymore, Peter. This path that I'm going to walk, which we know from the context of John, is this path to, to like being betrayed by one of the twelve, like Judas himself, by being like, like taken prisoner, by being beaten, ultimately by being crucified and buried in the grave. But Peter doesn't know that. 
he just hears Jesus saying that he's going to be gone, and, and he's like, like oh, I can follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I'm ready to lay my life down for you. That's in verse 30, 37, which there's a whole bunch of irony in that statement, right? I'm going to lay my life down for you, Jesus. Not realizing that just in like, I don't know how many hours it is, 24 hours, 48 hours, 30, I don't know, should have done the math, but Jesus is going to lay down his life for Peter. And, and, and imagine how hard it would have been for Peter to hear these words of Jesus. Verse 38, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Like, you're not going to lay down your life for me. In fact, before morning comes, before the rooster crows, you're going to de deny me three times. Like, is this is bombshell upon Peter. Like, no, I am like all in, Jesus. I'm going to die for you. And he's like, no, no, no. The sun's not even going to rise before you deny me three times. You know, what Jesus understands is that everything that the, that the like, disciples like, know and everything that they think they know, their whole life, their whole direction, all of their expectations, all of it is going to unravel in the next like, few hours because none of them anticipated what was going to happen to Jesus. And it's going to unravel so badly, it's going to like, test Peter's faith so deeply that he's even going to deny Jesus three times. If you're familiar with the story, you know how that plays out. I think we'll see some of it as we go through the Gospel of John. And then imagine if you're the other disciples hearing Jesus' words. You've already heard, because Jesus said this in chapter 12, that one of them was going to betray Jesus. And now you've got Peter, the most ardent of Jesus' followers, and Jesus is telling him, no, you're not, you're not even going to, you're not just going to betray me, you're going to deny me. You're not going to follow me. And then he turns to his disciples in 14.1 because what we can't see in our English translations is that um, like the you, the pronouns in verse 38 are singular, but then in verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, do not let your heart be troubled, those are plural. So he looks like away from Peter and he looks to all the disciples and he says, hey, don't let y'all's heart be troubled. All y'all? Is that okay? I'm not from the South. Sorry, should have looked it up. <laughs> Don't let all y'alls, all y'alls, all y'alls heart be troubled. Ewans? You, you got to be kidding me. I'm not even going to try to say, I'm not going to go there. So, I have standards. <laughs> They're not super high, but... But the reality is this, is Jesus knows, like, oh, he's leaving. One's going to betray him. Peter, like this like, kind of de facto leader of the disciples, is going to deny him. And the disciples are like, man, our whole life, this is like not what we expected. And Jesus turns to them and says, let not your heart be troubled. And I think it's a couple of things I just want to say about that before we before we dig too deeply into that, first of all, like one of the things that was troubling their hearts was, and, and I'm sure troubling Peter's hearts, was this notion that he was going to deny Jesus. Because it's immediately after that that Jesus says this. And if the chapter break doesn't serve us well because there's no break in Jesus' conversation, he goes from the denial statement to the trouble statement. That's what I said in my introduction. I think sometimes the things that trouble us, the deeper aren't all the, the deepest aren't all the circumstances around us, but what exists within us or what doesn't exist within us. 
at times. We overestimate like the power of our own faith. We overestimate our own strength. We, and then we are, we're confronted with the fact that our devotion is so weak and our worship is so feeble and our faith like so faltering. And we can be troubled. Both externally and internally, the disciples had lots of reason to be troubled. Everything was going to fall apart and unravel around them. And, and there's another thing that's just really kind of beautiful here about our Lord, I think. And when he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Look back with me at John 12, 27. John 12, 27. Jesus says this. He says this. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Like, Jesus knowing like what was about to come, like and knowing like the evil of the world that was about to be unleashed upon him, like his soul was troubled. Look over at uh, 12 or 1321, 1321. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me knowing that like one of his closest disciples was going to like sell him out for 30 pieces of silver like troubled Jesus deeply in spirit and so here's Jesus about to like like undergo the most horrible thing we can't even imagine what it would be like to bear the guilt and the punishment for the sins of the entire world and he's troubled so deeply about the betrayal and about what's awaiting him and yet when when he knows the disciples are troubled he spends time to address their troubled hearts. Like he knows, he knows the struggles of what it is to live in this world. He knows the struggles of what it is to be betrayed. He knows, this, he knows all of those things that trouble us and he can speak into those more deeply than anyone. You know, and I think it's really important for us because a troubled heart is a normal part of life in this world because Jesus experienced it. It wasn't sin for Jesus to be troubled in his spirit when he looked at the wickedness of the world that was about to be unleashed upon him. It wasn't sin when he was troubled in spirit when he thought about like the betrayal of Judas. You know, beware of any version of Christianity that like for one, like doesn't allow you to be troubled in spirit by the things that go on around you or to you or with you. And beware of any version of Christianity that doesn't like have an answer for those things. There's too much, I think, Christianity out there that's just like, well, it's like this verse, verse 14.1, let not your heart be troubled, <laughs> right? And we put on this like happy face and that just denies the reality of this broken world around us and, and it portrays this picture of the gospel. It is just kind of weak because it doesn't really speak to our deepest issues. There are troubling things around us and within us and and the reality of the gospel like, goes right to them. It doesn't shy away from them. And it's okay. It's okay to be troubled. But don't let your troubled like spirit direct your attention from where it should be. And that's what Jesus says in 14.1. He says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, When your heart's troubled, disciples, and it's going to get more troubled as the hours tick on, don't stop believing in God. And then he directs the attention to him. In fact, he's going to talk mostly about himself then. And don't stop believing in me. So if you're in that place where your spirit is troubled with whatever it might be, 
you know, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, I think sometimes it, sometimes it feels almost cliche to say that in 14.1, right? Throw that on a coffee mug. And I think, when, I think sometimes we feel like, because sometimes our experience is so far from like that, that it almost feels cliche. Jesus is not cliche. Like, I think you guys know that. But what he's saying is like, man, even in those darkest times of deepest troubling, don't like lose sight of, the, of God. Don't lose sight of me. Keep believing. Keep believing. And then he goes on and, and tells them a couple things, you know. Um, first of all, I, I, like, I just want to summarize what he's going to say in 14, 1 through 4. He tells them basically that don't let your heart be troubled. Keep believing because evil will not have the final word. Evil will not win the day, no matter what it looks like. In fact, there's a, there's a hint of that even with Peter, like with Peter's struggle about knowing that he's going to deny Jesus. Jesus said this, remember in verse, um, where is it? Oh, in verse 36, after Peter says, I'm going to, he says, I'm going to follow you and, or where are you going? And he says, where I go, you cannot come, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow later. I think what Jesus is saying, he's not just talking about like, hey, I'm going to die, and one day you're going to die, Peter. That's, that's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is like, Peter, you have no idea what, what's about to hit you. You're not going to be able to follow me. You for sure can't follow me and do what I'm going to do on the cross because that's my job. But you're not even going to keep following me. You're going to deny me. But there will be a time when after all that shakes out and after, after your soul's like ripped open that you will follow me later. You will return and you'll once again like, like, like love me. You'll once again like love the, like the church, like I've called the church to love each other. You'll once again, like you'll see the power of my resurrection. You'll proclaim it to the church. In fact, you're going to strengthen those people around you because of this journey that you've walked. In fact, Jesus says that in Luke 22. Uh, it's, a, it's a parallel passage that Luke gives us a little bit more information about this idea of following later. Look what he says in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. He says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think about that for a second. Like Peter's denial of Jesus was no surprise. He knew like Satan was going to like... Any bakers in here that sift things? Like we have a sifter. It's got like three levels, you know, that you do it like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like chop, 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 chop. That's what Satan's going to do to you, Peter. I mean, that's what Satan's going to do to you, Peter. But I prayed for you so that your faith doesn't fail and that when you return, you will one day follow me again. You'll strengthen your brothers. Like, What's true in the global sense that evil will not have its day is even true in Simon's, Peter's sense that evil will not win the day, that he'll return and he'll be able to strengthen others. In fact, Peter then in 1 Peter 3 is, or 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9, it's a long passage and so I'm going to try to minimize my comments on it. He opens his letter, um, he opens his letter in 1 Peter 1 with these words, 
Oh, there it is. I was like, oh, wait, I think I messed up another slide, of course. Um, this, is, this is what Peter says, and he's speaking from experience. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again through a living, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now listen who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And that's what Peter walked, right? He's protected by the power of God. His faith was tested like by fire. He emerged on the other side with like a deeper faith and with like this greater love and this greater devotion to the Lord, and that he was able to bring praise and glory and honor to Jesus. So one of the things I think we need to grasp when we're in this troubled situation, whatever it might be, is that our troubled circumstances are not outside of God's control. In fact, he's working in our troubled hearts to accomplish something deeper in us. And if you truly belong to him, he will see you through to the other side. You can take deep comfort in that. But then he, and then he points their attention even further forward. Look what he says, starting in verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. There's all sorts of, like, songs that we sing about this, like the mansions up in glory. You know, there's this, my translation reads dwelling places. Some of your translations probably reads rooms. There's many rooms. Some of your translations might read mansions if you're a King James guy. And there's all this debate, like, hey, so when Jesus is talking about these, this place for us, is it like a condo where we all have our, like, separate rooms? Or do we all, like the King James, have our separate mansions? Even, even the commentators were debating it. Like, has anybody ever heard that discussion? Yeah? Okay, some of you have. It all misses the point. The point isn't what kind of house we're going to have. I mean, listen to what Jesus says. The first thing he says, in my father's house. His first point is this, is that God has a dwelling place and in his dwelling place are many places where people will one day live with him. Like everything that we lost, all of our like broken relationships, all of our futile work, all of those things that cause us trouble were lost at the, in the garden and the most significant thing that was lost in the garden was that Adam and Eve were no longer able to walk with God in the cool of the day, as it says. Their, their relationship with God was broken, and there's been this gap ever since. And he's like, one day, my, you'll be in my father's house. One day, you'll be living in this place of blessing. It's not like the blessings that, that await us as Christians are, are all of these like tangible things that we're supposed to enjoy apart from God. They're all things that, that like, we enjoy as, as, from God and in relationship with God. 
It's not about mansions or rooms or condos. In fact, the New American Standard has the best translation of that word rooms or mansions. It actually calls them dwelling places. Because at the heart of the word there that's used, that's translated in multiple ways, is this idea of dwelling or abiding. It can mean to stand firm in something, but it has this idea of permanence um, to it. That one day, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like you'll arrive at home where everything that you long for will be found in God. And there won't be any more vacillation. There won't be any more denial. There won't be any more wandering. There won't be any more like lack of clarity. But you'll abide there. You'll dwell there. You'll remain there. And at the risk of sounding cliche, you'll finally belong. And that's one of those things that we long for. Like, man, I just want to fit in and come to church and everybody looks so cool except for Steve. And, um, and I'm just a dork sitting here in my pew and I hope nobody figures that out. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> And then there's the arrogant and the <laughs> deluded. I mean, those things live in our hearts, right? One day Jesus says that, there, that we'll be able to dwell in the Father's house. And then he says something else that's interesting in this context. There are many dwelling places. There's room for all of us who are troubled of spirit. There's room for all of us that have a troubled heart. Like it's unlimited. Like there's not like, it's not like, like Sunday mornings here where you show up and there's not a seat. Like there are many dwelling places. Anybody that places their faith in Jesus Christ that longs for like um, relationship with God. There are many places for you to dwell there. It's open to all. And then he says, for I go to prepare a place for you. And again, I think there's this weird kind of obsession with like the types of buildings. Like imagine the kind of building that Jesus builds if he's preparing, building it from now until the end, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be cool, whatever heaven is like. But when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, what he's saying is like, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to bear your guilt. I'm going to bear your shame. I'm going to bear all of what you can't bear on your own. And I'm going to open up the doors and prepare this place for you so that you can come and dwell with God forever. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will receive you to myself. For where I am, so that where I am, you may be also. Like our hope isn't based on like, like with Peter, our hope isn't based on our ability to never deny Jesus and our like depth of our faith and our like ability to persevere and our do this, I'll do this and do this. It's based on the fact that Jesus prepared a way that we're protected by the power of God, that he's coming again. He's going to receive us to himself and he's going to bring us safely home. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 10, I think. He says it multiple times in the gospel of John, but John chapter 10 verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
You know, our hope for the future rests on the reality that we're kept in the hand of Christ and that he's going to come back and he's going to bring us to himself and that we're going to be able to dwell apart from all the trouble and sufferings of this age with him forever. And on the journey in between, like the journey that Peter was about to walk, like he's faithful to stick with us even then. Because I just want to go back to 14.1. You know, if you're troubled by the raging of the world around you, what does Jesus say? Believe in God, believe also in me. You know, I'm the one that knows the future. I'm the one that's going to come again. I'm going to establish my kingdom. None of that's going to matter. Believe in God, believe also in me. You know, if you're like Peter, are troubled with the weakness of your own heart, you know what Jesus, Jesus' kind of words to Peter kind of mean for us is that like Peter's failures don't define him. It's the work of the gospel. It's Jesus' commitment to him. And what, Peter, what Jesus was telling Peter is, you know what, Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You know, maybe you're in this place where, for whatever reason, you're, you've like questioned, like the Christian faith has let you down or like Christian leaders have let you down and you're like rethinking everything. Or maybe you're in this place where you're just like, like forget it, man. I'm just going to pursue like the things of this world as if like the future, you know, as if this world is all that there is. Maybe you're in a place like Peter would find himself where, where you need to return. You know, we're like leave whatever you're clinging to and just return to the simplicity and purity of following Jesus. Whatever that looks like. I don't know where you guys are at, but Jesus' words that apply, I think, to all of us. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, it's interesting then, because then he says in verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. I mean, this whole thing was precipitated by Peter's question, like, hey, where are you going? And, um, and then Jesus drops it again, like, you know where I'm going. He's been telling them over and over and over again what's going to happen, but they're just not getting it. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Like, again, like this cluelessness of the disciples. In their, and this is our second point, right? That Jesus is the way amidst our uncertainty or our confusion, whatever you want to put in there, because Thomas has it. I don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then Jesus responds to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What Jesus is saying is like, if you want this thing that I just talked about, if you want to be able to like make it through this life and arrive out the other side where you can enter into God's presence and in him like have everything restored to you that you long for, There's one way to get there. And he says, I am the way. Now, it's interesting. We need to contrast that with what he just talked about to Peter up above. Because when he talked to Peter, he said, oh, you can follow me. And oftentimes, that's how we think about Jesus. And a lot of people in the world think about Jesus that way. Like, Jesus was a good example. And we just need to try really hard to follow Jesus' example. Which is kind of what he was saying. You will follow me later, Peter. In fact, you should love each other just as I've loved you. But here, he changes it. He doesn't say, I'm the trailblazer. I'm the one that shows the way that you have to follow. He says, I am the way. 
and the truth and the life. It goes so much deeper that it's only through and in Jesus Christ that the way to the Father is opened. It's only in believing and trusting in him. And in fact, that's what he says. It's this exclusive message that our age needs to come to grips with. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. No one. Like there is one message. There, what did Peter say in Acts? He says, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, right? Only Jesus in fact, what Jesus is saying is this journey that we have to reach the Father has to go through him. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let me just stop there. The holy place was, this, was the, the most sacred part of the temple where the glory of God dwelt, like where... where uh, God met with Moses like face to face. And, and the way the law was set up, there was only one person once a year, only after a whole bunch of sacrifices, that would be able to go in there. It was the high priest, and it said on the Day of Atonement, that would be able to go in there and like into that holy place. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that that way into the holy place, we can have confidence to enter the holy place. In fact, uh, this is like extra biblical, but like what they did in the Old Testament is that because like it was kind of scary to go into the presence of God, into this place that only per one person could go into once a year, only after lots of bloodshed, they would tie like a rope to their ankle and bells to them so that if they went in there and they died um, after, the, you know, there's no bell noise, kind of like um, that they could fish them out without like uh, going in there and dying themselves. And here the writer Hebrews is telling us, you know what? All of that is gone. In fact, we sang that song. It was kind of a cool song. Um, there was this, like, something about, like, Sinai's flame, that it quenched Sinai's flame was one of the lyrics that we had. The reference to that is that when God gave the law on Mount Sinai, it was with lightning and smoke and thunder and all of this. You know, and the, the fear of the law is gone because of the blood of Jesus. We don't need to be afraid. And then he says, so we should have confidence to enter in to the, place, the, the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The writer of Hebrews is saying is when, when Jesus was torn open on the cross, like the, and, and it happened literally, the veil of the temple that separated that holy place was also torn. And more importantly, like... In reality, it was torn open so that we can all enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What Jesus is saying is that he is the way. He is this new and living way that made access to the Father possible. So let's draw near with full assurance of faith. And then he goes on. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Like, cling to the truth of the gospel. Don't waver on that. For why? Because he who promised is faithful. He's the truth. 
When Jesus says he's the way, he's the truth, he's the only reliable one. He's the only one who gives his word and never breaks it. He's the faithful one, and we can, we can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our, our hope is based on the faithfulness of God and the fact that he's the truth, the one that reveals it to us. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, the, I, I, I've said this before. I, I heard it like years ago, and it's, I think it's true. Like the apostles would often use this triad of faith, hope, and love as a representation of genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity looks like faith, hope, and love. It, the most popular place is in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, and like, you know, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the grace of these is love. You guys know what I'm talking about? But it's all over the place. We see it here. Let us hold fast. Uh, let, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope and let us like stimulate one another to love and good deeds. If you want to know what genuine Christianity looks like, Hebrews 10, 19 and 25 is one of the, probably the more succinct places you could go. It's this life of like, of like never shrinking back from God and always drawing near with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. It's a life of holding fast our confession because we know God is true. It's a life of like love and encouraging each other to love and, and get, gathering together for that purpose. That's what Christianity is like and that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's, he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. You know, and there's this, Jesus' statement's an interesting one, and it's one that, that we're familiar with, you know, that if you read the Bible much, it's one of the I am statements that Jake talked about. I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. But what it means is that the flip side of it then is something interesting. What it means is that when we're in those troubled circumstances, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, what do we lose? If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose our way. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we are deceived and lose sight of the truth. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we like turn our back on what's going to give us life. Because Jesus is all those things. And he's saying, no matter what happens, believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And I think oftentimes we, I don't I don't know why we do it, but we do it. I do it. Like when these troubling times come, instead of like reminding ourselves of the truth and the realities of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we start to look everywhere else. Man, I'm really upset about the whole Gaza-Israel thing, and so I'm going to like become OCD and looking at the news and just hope our government leaders do the right thing. That'll give you hope. <laughs> or like, man, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I am as a person. You know, our world is going to tell you like all over and over again that the, the way to find life in this world and the truth of your life is your truth. 
You just got to find who you are and, and discover who you really are and then live authentically with your truth. And that, that, that message is everywhere around us. And it's partly true. It's partly true because the enemy would want to destroy our notions of ourselves. The enemy would want to like cause us to live within like unauthenticity, whatever that word would be. And we do need to discover who we truly are. We do need to live authentically with that. But if you like take your eyes off of Jesus and define that separately from his work on the cross and what he's accomplished for you, define that separately than the truth of what he says and what his word says, and you look for life anywhere else, you're going to lose it all because you're just going to be deceived. You know, so the question is, is who is the reliable and trustworthy guide to help us navigate these troubled days? Jesus says he's the way and he's the truth. He's the one that's reliable and trustworthy. I mean, imagine the foolishness if, like, maybe, maybe when you're older you start to realize this. If you're, if, like, that whole notion of, like, I just got to figure out who I am and live authentically with me, like, makes me the reliable and trustworthy guide. Ask Rachel, like, that is not probably the way to go with, you know, me. I'm not her. And we, we, need, we need to, like, follow the one who, like, made it through this troubled life perfectly and opened up the way so that we can go through it ourselves. Or we, or we like, look to everything else for the comfort and, and to calm our troubled hearts. We, we just look to the next drink or we look to the next, like, TV show or we look to the next, like, relationship or we look to the next, like, sale at Nordstrom Rack. We look to the next... Uh, trying to be equal opportunity, you know. <laughs> Whenever we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose our way, we forget the truth, and we turn our back on life. You know, so Aaron, why don't you come up so you can close us? You know, if you're here this morning and wherever you're at on this journey, you know, there's some questions. I know, who are you going to look like to be a reliable and trustworthy guide this coming week? When you show up at school, when you go to Nacho Nacho Night, is that tonight? I'm kind of jealous about Nacho Nacho Night, but um, when you show up at Nacho Nacho Night, if you guys don't know what it is, you're missing out. Mm -hmm. Like real nachos and Nacho Libre, right? Yeah, doesn't get better than that. Um, but when you show up at school or when you show up at work and all everything around you is trying to tell you, like, hey, if you're going to make it through this life, you need to... And everything's going to turn out okay. You need to go this direction or this direction or this direction or this direction. Like, just remember Jesus' words. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The access to the Father, to everything that's restored, where we can finally, like, be at home and belong, is only through him.